Good morning. Good to see all of you. And for those of you who will be joining us uh, online, it's great to be continuing in the series on Galatians. Freedom is a hot issue today. Talk about freedom to Ukrainians. Talk about freedom to the indigenous people of Canada in light of the revelations of the, of the, of the graves of children who had died in residential schools. Talk about freedom from wearing a mask, freedom from mandates, freedom to travel wherever you want to go whenever you want it, freedom to do the job you want to do and not have to face mandate. So freedom is a hot issue. And every human being, every living being wants to be free. Freedom is understood by everyone because freedom is an inherent desire of every human being. Even animals want to be free. But we've been going through what freedom really is. And today, I'm going to take you a lot of backwards. I know that Steve Kosa uh, preached a wonderful sermon about the beautiful life and how heavenly wisdom could guide us to live a life that is worthy of Christ. But I want you to look back to where Pastor Dave left us when he preached two Sundays ago about what is true freedom. And he did tell us that True freedom is not freedom or liberty to do whatever we want to do at any time. In fact, he did show that actually that is not possible because intrinsically your own freedoms can conflict against each other. And also externally, my freedom can conflict with your freedom. So he made a point that actually true freedom is not doing everything you want to do at any time you want. But rather, he said freedom should be used to serve one another in love. What does this way of living look like? And how challenging is it to be a fruit-bearing follower of Christ? So let me begin from where he left off, from Galatians 5, 13 to 15. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. You know, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. It was a letter he wrote in agitation and sometimes even in anger because what had happened was that Paul, who was the apostle to the non-Jewish Christians, to the Gentiles, he preached to them that now that Christ has died and Christ has been resurrected, the price of sin has been paid for and that coming to, be, uh, to come to know Christ is to believe in Christ as the Savior and Redeemer. And when that happens... He frees us from the slavery to sin and slavery to the law. 
So he preached that salvation is not by works. It's not by our efforts. Because in our efforts, we are incapable of pleasing God. And that Christ has done that for us. And that by believing in Christ, we are free from the law. And we can now become children of God by grace through faith and not through the works that we do. This is what he preached to the Galatians. Then some Jewish Christians came along and said, Oh, that is not enough. That is not enough. What Paul preached to you is not complete. You have to be like us Jews. You have to be circumcised. You have to have the same practices we have with meals, eating kosher, and doing all the purification things that Jewish people do. And they were, they were disturbing the Galatians and insisting that they should get circumcised. As you know, circumcision was, a, was an ethnic thing that, uh, uh, covenant that God made with the Jews that every male on the eighth day would be circumcised as a sign of your ethnic belonging to the Jewish community. And that is what really distinguished them from all other nations. So by insisting that these non-Jewish Christians should also be circumcised, they were actually bringing them back to become slaves to the law. And Paul was angry. Sometimes he was even exasperated. That how come that they are preaching this other gospel, which is not the true gospel? And he did go as far as to say, if any angel, even any angel comes to preach a new message that says you have to do something additional in order to be saved, may that person be cursed. So that's the context we are dealing with. The law really enslaved us. And we were enslaved by the law until Christ was revealed. When Christ came, when he died on the cross, when he took our sins, and when he was resurrected, he paved the way for us to be free from sin and to live a new life and to, to be ushered into his kingdom, not because we were worthy, not because of our works, but because of his grace and his mercy. And he's telling them that we should be free from the, from the law, but our freedom doesn't give us the license to live anyhow. In fact, on the contrary, he tells us it really leads us into being able to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me begin by saying that if you are a child of God today, the Holy Spirit lives within you, whether you know it or not. For that's the whole meaning of being born again. When you are born again, it's a, it's a new birth in the Spirit. And Christ dwells in you in the person of his Holy Spirit. So if there's one message I want you to get this morning, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, whether you feel it or not, whether sometimes you don't feel it or not. The truth is that you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Without it, you are not a child of God. Without it, you could never be ushered into the kingdom of God. It is the Spirit indwelling you that signifies that that has happened in your life. So let's take it on today. So how should we live as followers of Christ? What does living our lives, not by being free to do whatever we do, but serving one another in love, what does that look like? Galatians 5, 16 to 25. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is that's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. Now, he has depicted what I'm sure every one of you is very familiar with. You know that in your everyday life, some conflict goes on within you. And if you are a child of God, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that conflict is constant. Because although we have become children of God, we still live in this flesh. And two Sundays ago, Pastor Dave explained what the flesh is, the Greek word sax. It could mean the flesh itself, the muscle, and the skin, and, 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 and the bones. But it could also mean our sinful nature. It is that part of us that makes us, that makes us capable of doing things except by the intervention of God. So everything you are capable of doing except by the intervention of God is your sinful nature. And we all know that there is a battle raging every day, every moment in you, evil and what the Holy Spirit wants. And Paul is depicting this battle clearly that that conflict is going to go on every day and how you actually live will depend on how you yield to the Holy Spirit, submit to him so that the good that the Holy Spirit wants you to do will make you turn away from evil because the default position is to be evil. And you talk about the world today, people are saying, how can you just decide that no matter what a nation wants, you want them to be under your dominion? And you do it anyway because you're stronger and mightier. It's evil. How could it be that the church that wanted to educate indigenous children actually sexually molested them and killed them how could that be? That is evil. But evil also comes in many ways, and Paul is going to list them. Some of them are interpersonal relationships that deals with our pride and our envy and our jealousy. So we cannot be deemed to be free from sin's enslavement when we make it a habit of following the desires of our sinful nature. If you make it a habit of living in sin, you cannot claim that you've been redeemed, you've been delivered from the enslavement of sin. So does a Christian sin? Absolutely yes. Because as long as we remain in this flesh, we will falter, we will sin. But does a Christian make it a habit of sinning? Absolutely not. Because the very nature of the spirit within us is for us to produce fruit which we are going to talk about in a moment. So Paul is really making a strong statement here that really what has happened in you as a child of God should be evident in the way you live. The way you live should demonstrate what has happened inside. In fact, the Christians were first called Christians because people observed them and they said, wow, it seems like these guys have been with this Jesus we are talking about. The way they behave, the way they talk, the way they love each other, their principles, the things that drive them, it seems to us that they look like Christ Jesus himself. And that's why they were called Christians. So if you call yourself Christians, a Christian, remember the word Christ. 
It means you are looking like Christ. When people see you at work, at, in school, in your home, out there in the grocery, out there in the movie theater, wherever you are, they can see the marks of Christ in you. So Paul continues. But the Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, uh, he continues about the forces of evil which we are engaged in. So what does it mean to walk or be guided by the Spirit? One, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. That's a statement I made earlier. Please believe it. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Because you've trusted Christ. It's not because of your works. But it's, like, it's what Christ has done in you. And when you trusted him, the Holy Spirit indwelled you. But second, you have to be open and sensitive to the Spirit's influence in your life. See, that's where we falter. The Holy Spirit is there, but if you are not open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you miss out on his voice. In fact, last week, Steve alluded to that, that there's a voice within us. You're listening. We have to listen. If we listen carefully, there's a voice speaking to us every day, every moment, and that is the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is also the voice of wisdom, which Steve uh, dwelt on last Sunday. Third, we have to yield our wills to be aligned with what the Spirit wants. Friends, this is the secret of really fulfilling living. If you want to be fulfilled in life as a Christian, the more you align your will with God's will, the more fulfilled you will be. Our struggles and our, 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 our discontentment that we find in the Christian life is because we are fighting against God's will. We know his will. His spirit speaks to us, but we are not aligned with his will. And when that happens, you're going to have a lot of struggle. You're going to have a lot of disappointments, a lot of discontentment as a child of God. We need to align our wills with him. So we are engaged in a constant battle, our sinful nature versus the spirit in us. So here is where it continues. Verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He couldn't be any clearer than that. Now, you had the list, and the list was not meant to be comprehensive. He was listing some of the things. The sexual sins, sins that had to do with our sexual life, since that, that have to do with our worship, since that, that have to do with our interpersonal relationships, and things that have to do with how we interact with society. The division, the envy, the selfish ambition, the outbursts of anger. All these things were happening among the Galatian church because there was argument between the church whether or not the Gentile Christians, those who were non-Jewish, 
should succumb to Jewish laws as an indication of their salvation, as a requirement for them belonging to the family of God. And Paul said, no, 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 no. You're going backwards. What Christ has done for you, don't, don't, don't go backwards. The law could not save us. If the law could save us, Christ would not have come. And his dying on the cross is completely in vain and useless. Christ has died because the law was only temporarily keeping us in check until the ultimate came. Now that Christ has come, we are not under the law. But he's telling them that these are the works of the flesh. These are the works of the sinful nature. And when you see these things, you know that the spirit is not at work. So as I read through the list, were there any things that resonated with you? And I have to tell you, in the past few years, the evangelical church has not demonstrated true grace and love. Even the issue of COVID and even wearing a mask has divided some churches. Our political affiliations, whether you are conservative or liberal, has divided some churches. The reckoning with race and systemic racism has also been an issue that has divided the church. And we are not listening to each other, and sometimes outbursts of anger has actually divided churches. Are you familiar with church politics? Politics in the outward world can be very, very sort of negative, very, very painful. But church politics is even worse. We have lived through it, where people want power, they want influence. One view of how the church should go is against the other. And rather than living in harmony, we sow division and dissension. And that was what was happening in the Galatian church on the major, major issue of what does it take to become saved. Do you trust fully in what Christ has done, or do you need additional uh, obedience to the law? So we cannot be deemed to be free from sin's enslavement when we make it a habit of following the desires of our sinful nature. And that's what Paul is saying. If you make it a habit that you are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, what he's trying to say is that then the spirit is not in you. The two cannot go together. You can't have the spirit living in you and you living continually to follow the passions and the desires of the sinful nature. So we are in a conflict, but this conflict is one-sided. We are bound to win because it is the spirit in us who enables us to bear fruit. It's not in our strength and in our power. He's given us everything we need to be able to succeed. So Paul contrasts that with the fruit of the spirit in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now note, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. You don't produce it. I don't produce it. In fact, we are incapable of doing so. We are powerless to do so. So as we sang in a song, Holy Spirit, come and do in me what only you can do. What I'm incapable of doing for myself, Holy Spirit, do it for me. So it's the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. 
Isn't that reassuring? It's not something we are going to do by ourselves, but he's going to do it in us. Now, love here is agape love. It's selfless love. Love that is demonstrated because the intrinsic worth of the person you are demonstrating to, not because they are lovable. In fact, agape love is loving those who are even unlovable, not because they will make, it will make us feel good, not because they will say thank you to us, not because they will say to us what we want to hear, but we love them for who they are, their intrinsic worth. Joy is delight from knowing God, from focusing on Christ. It does not depend on your personal comfort or an emotional high. It's, it's not de- dependent on circumstances. That may be described as happiness. But joy is a delight, a pleasure that comes from focusing on God, focusing on Christ. And that is the joy he's talking about. Peace is a tranquility and rest in the fact that God is in control of your circumstances. He's in control of time. So even in the deep valley, even when you are out of work, even when you cannot find a job, even when there is a broken relationship, even when there's death in the family, even when you are going through trials, you're having financial hardships, you can still have that peace because you know that despite your circumstances, God is still sovereign and he will grant you that peace. Patience is enduring situations in a persistent way without giving up, without blowing up, without lashing out. It's painful. It is, it, is, it is something that is pressing you. It is something that is putting you in an uncomfortable position, but you endure it persistently without lashing out. Kindness is serving others in ways that cost us, okay? In the ways that make us even vulnerable. That's the kind of kindness he's talking about. Not the kindness to show off. Not the kindness, I give my money so that they would know that, yes, I'm a, I, I have money. Or so that people would thank me. It's the kind of kindness that costs you. That makes you even look so vulnerable. It, it, it doesn't make you feel that you are triumphant, but you do it anyway. Kindness. Goodness is loving, living consistent lives no matter what the circumstance is. So what you say is what you do. And what you say aligns with what you do. You are consistent. You don't change according to the circumstance. Have you known people that change dramatically in different situations? And you say, wow, isn't isn't this guy the guy who, who said this the last time? That is not goodness. Goodness means you are, you are consistent and you remain consistent despite the circumstances. Faithfulness, being reliable and dependable. Being reliable and dependable. And courageously loyal. You are loyal. You are solid. You don't swerve. You are faithful. You are dependable. Even when it is difficult to do so even when it's difficult to do so. Faithfulness, gentleness. Oh, that is a a fruit, a part of the fruit of the Spirit that is so, so lacking these days. Gentleness is tested when you have power. 
It's how you become humble even when you are powerful and influential. Even as a parent and your children, you're so powerful as a parent, you say everything to your children and you expect them to obey, you command them, you direct them. But can you do that with gentleness, with humility? When the child has asked a question and the question is legitimate, do you listen to it? Power, political power, or leadership in the church, or leadership in a group, a position of influence, how do you use it? Do you use it in humility? And let us look to Christ. Philippians 2 said, don't be selfish. Let us have the same mind that Christ had, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave it all up. He gave up his divine privilege and took the position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's what Christ did. In all his glory and his power, he became obedient to God by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Gentleness is humility in the, in the position of power and influence. And lastly, self-control. It is when you are driven by purpose. You, you don't do things erratically. You focus on the things that are important, not just the things that are urgent. Your daily decision-making is guided by the spirit, the self-control, there's a consistent lens through which you take decisions every day. That is self-control. Now, notice that he says fruit. That is produced by the spirit. The gifts of the spirit is not what he's talking about here. The gifts of the Spirit, as Paul writes in the letter to the Corinthians, are distributed in varying proportions according to the Spirit's will. So some could be a teacher, some could be a, a helper, some could be prophets who are able to prophesy, some could be people who are able to encourage others, and not everyone is going to have all the gifts. It is distributed according to the Spirit's will. But what he's talking about here is fruit that is produced by the Spirit. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit lives in every one of us, it means then that every one of us must bear fruit. So this is not something that is variable. This is not something that is optional. If the Spirit of God indwells you, you must bear fruit because it is a Spirit that produces fruit in you. So the Spirit bears fruit in us as a whole, and this is produced in every child of God. Are you a child of God? Is there spiritual fruit in your life? We've gone through them. And as I read through them and defined them, was the Holy Spirit speaking to you? and prompting you about certain aspects of your life that you need to pay attention to. He continues in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So factually, what Christ has done has enabled us to be able to crucify our passions and our desires. So they should no longer rule over us. 
although we may be susceptible to its influence. And that's why we sin. We are not perfect until we, we, we really be transformed from this body into a glorious one. We are going to be battling with sin. But we are not going to make it a habit of sinning because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another to be jealous of one another. So what does follow the Spirit's leading or in another translation, it says be in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? First, the indwelling Holy Spirit has power to produce fruit in us. He has the power to produce it in us. And it, it is he who produces it in us. It's not possible for us to do it by willpower. Willpower will only lead to frustration because you will utterly fail. Because our sinful nature only has a default position to do what is evil, to do what is opposed to the Spirit. Living by the power of the Holy Spirit is the only way we can do this. Second, having said that, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The fruit will not be evident until we make effort to follow his leading, to be in step with him. You've got to yield. You've got to submit You've got to listen, as, as Steve was uh, reminding us last week. You've got to listen. That is why the fruit is not evident. It's not because there's no power within us to produce it. It's because we are not yielding. It's because we are not submitting. It's because we are not letting the Spirit take control. And how do we do that? It's as simple as ABC. And it may seem that we are harping on this over and over and over. You've got to pray. You've got to ask God. You've got to submit your will in prayer. So prayer is not something you do just to satisfy a conscience. Oh, you have to do your quiet time, and you hurriedly do it. No, not at all. It is the Holy Spirit lives in, within you, and you want the Holy Spirit to, to take full control. You are powerless. And by submitting to God in prayer, you are saying, Holy Spirit, do in me what only you can do. I'm submitting. I'm yielding. Yielding to you. I'm, 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 I'm allowing you to take control, to influence me. Then you hear his voice. Do you know that unkind word you said to your spouse? That was wrong. That was wrong. That outburst of anger at work, that was not me. It was your sinful nature. And the Spirit works in you. You have to be in Scripture. For that's the only way you see a light for your path. That shines on your life. That says that is pleasing to God. That is not pleasing to God. It's only through Scripture. Not through any other means can we know what God's will is. He exposes it to us and he steps up and reveals them to us so that we can see clearly the path forward. And when you have gone into the word and you have prayed and submitted your will, step up and look for opportunities to just be who the Holy Spirit wants you to be. 
It takes an act of faith. So if it's about love, you want more love, step up in situations where you can demonstrate love for people, even those who are not lovable, for what they are intrinsically worth as individuals, as people who are created in the image of God. Not because you feel good, not because it's comfortable, but you want to demonstrate agape love, which is selfless. You want to be patient, then endure in that situation at work. Endure in that situation in your family, the conflicts that are going on. Be patient and wait for God's time. Know that he's still in control. You want to be faithful, be courageous in your loyalty to the stance that you have taken on an issue of controversy that is going on both at church, at home, at work, and at school. So this is how we do that, and we allow the Spirit's leading. Let me read a passage that Apostle Peter wrote, which brings all this uh, together. And listen carefully as we read along. By his divine power, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Did you hear that? He's given us everything. The Holy Spirit indwells us. So if living a godly life is challenging, it's challenging because you're trying to do it in your own effort. No, just yield to the Holy Spirit. Listen to him and let him take control. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we grow even in manifest fruits, manifesting fruit. You grow, you become stronger with time. So let's quickly end with an application. If you've heard my voice today, and those of you who will be joining online, let me ask you a few questions to consider this week. Will you consider this week an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that is lacking in you? Just ponder over it. I'm not gentle enough. Maybe I'm not showing enough love. I'm not experiencing joy, true joy. That doesn't depend on circumstances. I lack peace in these times, these times of turmoil, these times of bad news. I need the peace of God. If any of this is lacking in you, will you consider and focus on it this week? Second, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. So will you take steps to follow his guidance and leading and seek opportunities for him to produce that fruit in your life? So step up in situations where that fruit will be manifest by yielding to him and letting the Holy Spirit guide you. Finally, remember this bottom line. The whole point of following Christ is to be like him. The whole point of being a Christian is to be like Christ. He says Christian, like Christ. That's the whole point. Nothing else matters 
Friends, this is the sum of the whole journey of being a Christian. Why we come to church, why we go to small groups, why we listen to the Word of God, why we pray together, why we embark on church activities. It is only one thing, to be like Christ. Nothing else matters. All other things are not worth paying attention to. It is to be like Christ and to be like Him. Are you a fruitful, a fruit-bearing follower of Christ? You have the potential to be fruitful. You only need to yield and let it happen in you. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us by giving us Jesus Christ who died and was resurrected so that we might be ushered into your kingdom. Thank you for the indwelling spirit. May he have his way in us and may we be open and to yield and to submit to him so that he may bear much fruit in us so that we may glorify you and we may be like you wherever we are, whether at home, whether at church, whether at work, whether out in the world, wherever we are, we may bear fruit that brings honor and glory to your name. We pray this in the one and only name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.